Our Father, we're living in a world of what is now known as fake news. How grateful we are that we come to you and we get the good news. We get the good news that Jesus came to rescue us. We know we're sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But just a few chapters later in Romans, it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And how grateful we are that even though we were alive physically, we were spiritually dead and we could not change our conditions on our own. So the Lord Jesus came to rescue us. He who knew no sin became sin. He took all of our sin. He took the sin of the world upon him and he died in our place. And we thank you for your grace and for your mercy and for your initiative that you came after us. We were helpless, we were lost, we were blind, we were dead. But even when we were dead, you made us alive in Christ. And you opened our eyes and you opened our ears and we heard the good news. And you gave us a new heart, we were regenerated and we called out to you and asked you to forgive us of our sins. We are so thankful for the good news. Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose on the third day and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and then to over 500 at one time. They saw him. They touched the nail scars. Then he ascended to you and he's at the right hand of the Father and he lives forever to make intercession for us. This is good news. This is truth. Nothing fake about it. We've, we, we stake our lives on it. But more importantly, your son gave his life for us so that we could have life. We're walking through life and we need wisdom. We walk through life and we're constantly lied to. That's why we open your book. You're the God who cannot lie. You can't do it because of your nature, because of your character. We can trust you. We can trust your word. Every man in here needs wisdom. We need encouragement. We've all got our fears. We look calm. We look together. We're not. There's stuff that scares us. There's stuff that keeps us up at night. There's stuff we're trying to get a handle on and we can't get our arms around it. And we're trusting you to come through for us and to make a way where there is no way. We've seen you do it many, many times. You'll do it again because you're a savior and you just keep on saving. So encourage us tonight, give us wisdom that the world cannot give, does not understand, but it's in your book. Open our eyes that we might see tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So we're continuing this series called Landmines, and tonight, you know, the thing about landmines is they're subtle. Uh, if you're on patrol and you're in combat and you're the guy on point, they're going to try and hide those uh, those mines. They're going to try and hide those tripwires. That's why we started this in Ephesians 5:15, where it says, "Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, uh, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. We all know we're living in evil days, so we have to be careful as Christian men how we walk." The landmine tonight is, is very subtle. The landmine we're going to look at tonight is relentless. And the landmine, that uh, it's a landmine we all deal with. And as we get more and more technology, this landmine um, has more potential to, uh, to trip us up. The landmine to which I refer is the landmine of distractions that erode spiritual discipline. Let me say that again. The distractions that erode spiritual discipline. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple of Christ. In uh, Matthew 28, we read the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples. A, a lot of us, we get the idea that the Great Commission is going into the world. But the way that's structured grammatically, the real idea of the Great Commission is to make disciples. A, a disciple is a follower. It means that every, and everybody's following somebody. But when we come to know Christ and we trust in him, we're born again. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. So we're on a, uh, we have, a, we have a, a new God, we have a new Savior, we have a new Lord, we have a new Master, we have a new Shepherd, that's Jesus. Um, we're on a new path, so we got, a, we got a new heart, we're on a new path. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Here are those who find it. We found, we found it because we found Him, and now He's going to lead us and He's going to walk us through life. But, here's the deal. When you're a disciple of Christ, one of, the, one of the goals of following Christ is to mature in Christ. Uh, flip over with me to Colossians 1.28. Paul made this very, very clear of all of his work and all of his missionary journeys and establishing churches and teaching the Word and all of this. He says in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete or mature in Christ. So the goal of the Christian life is to go from immaturity to maturity. Um, we are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. That involves a massive amount of change. We're his kids, we're his children. We're his grandchildren. In, 
in order to mature in the Christian life, it takes discipline. In fact, the, the word disciple and the word discipline really have the same root. To be a, to be a follower of Christ is to be a disciple, quite frankly, who is disciplined if you're going to grow. If you have kids, you want them to grow. And so you've got to train them. That um, you do this, but you don't do this. And there are ramifications because it's very important that, that they learn to be mature, that they learn to obey, that they learn certain things. And if they are stubborn and if they're refusing, well, then there's discipline. One of the things that we want to do with our kids, and this is what the Lord wants to do with us, is to help them see the value of discipline so that they will seek it themselves. Uh, for you see, in discipline, there's freedom. Uh, discipline, discipline costs something, but it yields tremendous results. And one of the characteristics of, of someone who is mature is that they become self-disciplined. And they keep themselves in check. And they say yes to certain things, and they say no to others. They're not controlled by their feelings. But they have a set of principles. They have a set of convictions that they order their lives by. Uh, this is what it means to be a disciple. But we live in a world of distractions. I, I have uh, really thought about telling you this illustration because it kind of makes me look good. And that's not my point. But I, I have a reason in telling you this. So I got out of college. I was going to go to seminary. But I was going to work for a year and a half, maybe two years, and save some money. And I had a job promised to me, so I moved home to the Bay Area. And I, you know, moved back home, spying with my folks, because I was working and, you know, I was getting ready for school. And anyway, and I got back home. And I was going to drive an air freight truck out of the San Francisco airport, but it was slow. I graduated 1st of January and said, man, Steve, it's slow. Give us, and I'd worked there on and off for a few years. Give us 30 days. I said, okay. You have any books around that you've always wanted to read? And you just haven't had time to read them? Yeah. I had 42 books. And I absolutely had nothing to do. So you know what I did? I read 42 books in 30 days. Now, you think, that's unbelievable. No, no. I just was born with the ability to read fast. That's all I can tell you. Uh, I read through the New Testament when I was three weeks old. <laughs> it was astonishing. It just came to me. No, I'm going to tell you something. I can't do math. I can't do geometry. I can't, I'll tell you all day what I can't do. But I was given the ability to read and to read fast. I just, it was a gift. That's all you say. It's a gift. So I get up in the morning and I'd read. 
And I'd take a break and make a peanut butter sandwich, and then I'd read, and I would read, and I would read, and I knocked out those books. Some were short, some were long, but I knocked them out. Now, why am I telling you that story? I had very few distractions. There was no ESPN in 1972. If you wanted to watch sports, you better catch the 6 o'clock news about 6.20 for three minutes. Or you better catch the, in California it's 11 o'clock news, here it's 10 o'clock, for about three minutes. Because that was it. There was one baseball game on a week. That's pretty much it. There was no email. There were no fax machines. We had no indoor plumbing. <laughs> Just made that up. Uh, but I started thinking about, I don't think I could, if I had the time, I don't think I could do that. You know why? Because, and you can read books on this, there's studies on this, that we are hit with so many distractions that they have interrupted and they have distorted our ability to concentrate. We live in a, is it a, a ping society? Do you have those little deals, those little pings? How many times do you get pinged? How many times do... Well, that's a great little tool if you, ma if you control it. But you're pinged about this and well, breaking news, which isn't breaking news. And then pinged, and then, and then, and then, and then, and this utter, complete, uh, and emails. I got, I, I got 600 emails. And I'm most, so if you don't hear from me, it's nothing personal, but there's just no way. I mean, how can you do that? It's just constant, constant, constant interruptions and distractions, and we have work that we are called to do. And you got to do your work, but you got to stay focused. And you got to set priorities. How in the world do you do it? I remember, I remember candidating at a church down around Houston, and I was around 30-ish, and I remember as I was at the church office, and I don't know, meeting some people, I met the church secretary, and um, we were talking for a minute, and she said, oh, we have a wonderful device, and... I had never seen one of these before, and it was a pager. And she said, yes, if you wind up coming, I'll give you one of these, and then I can contact you any time that I want to. And I thought, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> I, I was stunned. I said, what? I don't want to be contacted any time. What are you talking about? I, I was nice to her. I thought, this is insane. How do you get any work done? Well, now everybody in the world can get you. Okay. I think I better stop there, because I've made the point. My anger's coming out. And don't you get angry too? 
It's just utter distraction. There are uh, priorities in our life. And the older we get, the more we realize we can't slide on some things. We got to give it some attention. Some of us learn later than others, but you got to learn. I remember reading uh, Ken Cooper's book, Aerobics, when it first came out. Read it a couple times. Uh, and in regard to physical health, he had a great system. And basically, I read that book and I read it again, and then I made some notes. But basically what he said, and you know, Jim Fix, you older guys remember Jim Fix, who was a marathon runner and he died, and everybody was worried about that. And basically, Cooper said, look, if I got a bunch of exercises here in the back, and if you get your heart rate to a certain deal, and he gives you, you know, you get points. If you hit X amounts of points, and you do it three times a week, you're in good shape. He made it real simple. He made it real easy. Uh, so the name of the game, you read the book, now the name of the game is to discipline yourself to do what's in the book and pick an exercise and stay with it so that you can maintain your health. So basically, when it came to physical health, uh, you, you got, uh, and, and, and since then I've read some books, and now it seems like, uh, I've read a book, I, I like this book, uh, it's called Younger Next Year. It, uh, it's a fun book. It's well-written. A guy and a doctor, and anyway, pretty good. And they got three principles. They got about eight principles. But basically, when you're talking about health, you got three principles. You got diet, you got cardio, and you got strength training. So you got to watch what you eat. Makes sense. You got to get your heart rate up. You got to work your heart, get your oxygen level right. And then you got to do some strength training because every year you get older, you lose strength. Okay. Let's talk about spiritual health. When it comes to spiritual health, you got the same three issues you've got uh, diet, you've got cardio, and you've got strength training. Uh, just different words are used for them in Scripture. In Scripture, when it's talking about spiritual health, there is a diet. Uh, the, diet of, the diet in the Christian life is Scripture. Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live, Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is right here. You can't live by bread alone. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to have this book. Deuteronomy 32 says, it is not an idle word for you. It is your life. So therefore, this book is important. Uh, all scriptures inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, completely furnished for every good work. Scripture is your nutrition. Scripture is your food. Scripture, it's your manna. He gave him manna in the wilderness. You've you, you got to have nutrition. It is remarkable. I read a book this week. Um, George Barna is 
kind of the Christian George Gallup. You know, Gallup does all the, or did, George Gallup did all the political polls. Well, George Barna does all these polling of, of Christians, and he breaks Christians down into different groups, and true Christians who really believe the Word of God. And then he's got about five or six different categories of Christians. But uh, he does some amazing research. I was reading, he's got a book out on millennials. And millennials, um, they were born around the millennium. It's the best I can tell you. They're young. And he was talking about millennials who are Christians and how they view Scripture and other things. And among evangelical millennials, kids that really know the Lord, that really know the Lord, believe the Word of God, is God's Word, he made a statement. He said, in our research, we found that young millennials who really know Christ revere the Word, they just don't read the Word. When I did research on men, evangelical men, almost 30 years ago, when I was writing my dissertation at Dallas Seminary, I found the same thing. In fact, I'm almost sure in that dissertation, I put the same phrase, it's dangerous to revere the Word, but not read the Word. Now, Why is that dangerous? Because if you're not reading the Word, you can't grow. You can't mature. There are, spiritually speaking, well, let me just be honest with you. For years, I've struggled with anorexia. But I'm, I'm doing a lot better. Now, that's really nothing to make fun of, because if there is someone, a young woman in your family or Anorexia nervosa is something that primarily attract, uh, afflicts young women. Um, first time I ever heard of it was Karen Carpenter. It's, 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 it's deadly. Because these young gals are attractive. I mean, my, I mean, it's kind of shocking when you find out a young gal is struggling with anorexia because in her mind, she's obese. And so what happens is she just doesn't eat. It stops eating, and, and they starve themselves to death. It's, it's just, it's a horrible tragedy. Christian men starve themselves when it comes to Scripture. Believe in the Word of God, would die for the Word of God, but we get distracted because we have so many responsibilities. We have so many things on our plate we have so many people that are looking to us and depending on us, and we get so many emails, and we get this, and they want us at this meeting, and they want us over here, and they want us here, and they got this, and they got this. And I'm telling you, you, you can get to the end of the week and say, my gosh, I even cracked open my Bible. That's very subtle. That's a strategy of the devil. Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies, the wiles, W-I-L-E-S, King James says, the strategies of the devil. Uh, his primary strategy would be to keep you from the Scripture. Because if you're not in Scripture, you can't grow. You just can't do it. 
if you're in if you're in scripture, how are you gonna if you're not in scripture, how are you gonna fight off temptation? You got nothing to fight with. In Ephesians 6:10, it says, You see, you see this pulpit up here? This pulpit right here is based on Ephesians 16. You got a Bible with a sword right down the middle. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The only offensive weapon we have in the Christian life, the only offensive weapon, is the Bible. And see, what the enemy is always trying to do is get us so busy that we don't touch it. We need it to nourish us, and it's our weapon to fight off wrong thoughts and wrong temptations. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Old Testament. It's all about Scripture and the place of Scripture and the benefit of Scripture. And it follows the Hebrew alphabet and breaks up into certain sections. If you look at uh, Psalm 119... Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? You're a young man in this culture, it's hard to stay pure. It used to be if you wanted pornography, you had to get in your car, drive across town to the bad side of town, get out of your car, risk getting shot or stabbed or mugged or something to get some pornography, and it would cost a lot of money. Now it's free. Now they'll send it to you on your phone and you didn't even ask for it. It's Everywhere. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. That's the only way. Because there's power in the word of God. Look at 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. The word of God has power. The word of God nurtures me. The Word of God gives me my vitamins, my minerals, my antioxidants, AEC, chromium, selenium, potassium. Whatever you need spiritually, it's in the Word of God. So the enemy wants to keep you and me malnourished out of Scripture. So what you have to do is you got to fight back. And in order to fight back, you're going to have to exercise some spiritual disciplines. Now, I want to say a word about this, because when you talk about spiritual disciplines, quite frankly, in my opinion, it can get real weird. And it can get extra biblical. I'm reading a lot now. There's, I'm seeing a lot of Roman Catholicism influence coming in evangelical churches. And, hey guys, just stick with the basics. And let me give them to you. Okay, we talked about, we, we talked about uh, the three essentials. We talked about uh, diet, cardio. We talked about, what's the next one? Okay, now. Let me just go ahead and give these three to you. 
We've already talked about diet. Diet is scripture. Secondly is cardio. So what's the spiritual equivalent of cardio? It's called meditation in the scripture. Look at Joshua 1, opening verses. Meditation on the word of God. Um, Number three, and we'll come back to, to these two. But number three, uh, number three on physical fitness is strength training. One of these books I've been reading is saying, you know, watch your diet, get the weight off. You know, that's a battle every day. I've been on that bluebell diet. <laughs> you can get it now again. It's tough. Okay, so you've got to obviously watch your diet, watch your intake, all that jazz. <coughs> then you've got to do your cardio. And what I've been reading is do four days cardio. Get your heart rate up, get that oxygen going. And then two days do strength training. Okay. So cardio is what the Bible calls meditation. And this is what we often miss. I'm gonna touch on that tonight. And then thirdly, your strength training is prayer. Is prayer, and we'll touch on that. I was going somewhere. Joshua 1, thanks. I took extra ginseng tonight. I did. I did. So if I break in the Japanese, is that Japanese or Chinese? Doesn't matter. Um, How would you know? Uh, Let's go to Joshua 1. Let me show you this. All right. Moses is handing off the baton to Joshua. Great responsibility. Uh, came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Joshua. And now he's responsible for getting them into the land. Look at uh, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swear to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law, all the word, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. He assumes he'll be in it. He says, don't turn from it to the right, to the left. Don't depart from it. Be in it. Stay in the book. It's a discipline. Then he goes on and says this. Eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Let's go back to Scripture for a minute. So you take Scripture. You want to read Scripture. You don't want to revere it. Just revere it. You want to read it. You want to put it in your heart. Um, Romans 12, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As I read Scripture, it changes my thinking. It changes my perspective. Instead of man's perspective, I have God's perspective. I'm going to go next to Psalm 1. On the way to Psalm 1, let me just mention something about how you get started in having a consistent intake of Scripture. All right? 
I've never met someone who is mature in Christ who is not disciplined with their time in the Scripture. This is because there are no shortcuts. Uh, if you're going to grow in your faith, if you're going to grow in God's wisdom and maturity, and if you're going to walk in these evil days as, as a wise man and not as unwise, we've all done the unwise thing, Lord, I want your wisdom, then you're going to have to have a consistent intake of Scripture. So once on the physical realm, once you talk to your doctor and he scares you and all this stuff and you read the test results, you say, okay, so here we go. So what do you got to do? You got to work out. Now, Cooper said three times a week, oh, but I want to do whatever. I want to run White Rock in three weeks. Well, before you do that, before you run a marathon, you got to get a lap around the high school track without throwing up. And that's where everybody starts. So how do you do that? Well, you got to plan a time. When am I going to do it? you got to plan a place. Where am I going to do it? On, on whatever kind of workout you're going to do. All right, now let's apply this spiritually. Yeah, I'm not really in the Scripture. Okay, well, let's fix that. Well, how do I fix it? Plan a time. Are you a morning guy or are you an evening guy? Doesn't matter. What works for you? You set a time, and I'll guarantee you, the Lord will be there. Whatever works well for you, just set a time. Get your Bible. So well, I'm not sure what to do. Well, you know, there's all kinds of things. You want to just start reading the Scripture. Maybe you read the Gospel of John. I, I have this reading calendar. It takes me through the Bible in a year by reading four chapters a day. You can read two in the morning. You can read two at night. I mean, if you take about 10, 15 minutes... 20 minutes, some chapters longer than others. If you just kind of, or, or, or do this. Take two chapters and read through the Bible in two years. Two years, I mean, hey, it's going to come either way, and you read through the Bible. I mean, this stuff can be done. You just break it down in bite-sized pieces. But you, uh, you plan a time. Then secondly, you plan a place. What's good for you? Your breakfast table? Uh, shut the door at in your office at noon and just shut the door and get out the scripture? Doesn't matter. You set it up, God will be there. Thirdly, make a list of what you're praying about. And when you make a list, uh, leave room. If you're going to make a list on a legal pad or a journal, put a line down the middle, write your request, then leave the other side open so you can write down when God answers it. I'll come back to that. I didn't want to forget this stuff. So you make a set of time, set a place, make a list. And then hit it three times. Well, shouldn't I do it every day? Yeah, well, that'd be great. Yeah. You're not going to hit it every day. So hit it three times. And if you only get two times, great. I mean, cut yourself some slack, right? But just get going. Just start out. I had a young guy, I was speaking in North Carolina, up in the mountains this weekend, and uh, got out of there just before all that snow came in there, by the way, but had a great time, and young guy was in the car, and I was going back with his dad to the airport, and he, and he said, uh, he said, so how did you memorize scripture? And I said, well, I'm old. 
and I started a while back. He said, well, how do you do it? I said, don't try to memorize it. But if you want to memorize a verse, let me show you how to memorize a verse. Uh, when you're reading your scriptures, if a verse stands out at me, I'll highlight it. I'll do, I don't know if you can see yellow on there. You see, I do that all the way through, yellow. If I like a verse, yellow. Uh, anyway, and in certain sections, it's not only yellow, but it's got a circle around it. That's a verse I want to memorize. So here's what I do. I take three post-it notes, and I write the verse down, put it on three post-it notes. I put one on my mirror in my bathroom. I see it when I'm shaving. Uh, I put one on the dashboard of my car. And I put one maybe at your work, I mean, you know, your workbench or your desk at the office. I don't know. Put it somewhere else. And just put them there. That's all you got to do. And I'm telling you, a week later, you'll know that verse. You see the verse. You get in the car. How many times are you in the car? You'll see the verse. I'm telling you, in seven days, you'll know that verse. And then, you know, get another one. And then this guy handed me his phone. He said, oh, that's really wild. He said, let me show you what I got on my phone. And I'm in a small group with five guys, and every week I text them a different verse, and it's my screensaver. And he shows me the verse. I said, where'd you get that? I said, that's better than Post-it notes. Every time he looks at his phone, he's got the verse, and then he changes it every Monday and sends it to his guys. I could have had a V8. <laughs> it's wild. Didn't even know you could do that. But you get the point? Okay, that's how you do it. Look at Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor in the seat of scoffers. If all the information you take is off of the Internet and off of news channels, and off of talk radio and all of this, that's verse 1. Now, how are you going to counter that? If that's all you take in all day, no wonder your blood pressure's about, no wonder you've got blood coming out of your eyeballs. And you're so angry. I can't believe, I can't, I know, I get it. If you're listening to fools all day long, but you don't have to listen to foolish people all day long who are in rebellion to the Most High God. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, here it is again, he meditates day and night. I love this. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Um, I don't see Brian tonight, but he's... I've told this story before. There's a place in England in the Cotswolds called Bibbury, a little village. And um, we had some friends that were there, and they said, if you, go, when you, if you go over there, make sure you go to Bibbury. So we did, and I'm glad we did. We've been there a couple times. And you go over by this castle, which is now a hotel that was built, as I recall, in the 12th century. And then you got that spring-fed river coming around, and you come around the backside of that hotel, 
And as you're walking, the hotel's there. I mean, how would you know? You haven't been there, but you're, it's on the left. And then there's a spring-fed river. And then there are these massive black oaks. I've never seen oak trees this big. And we've taken pictures of us next to these black oaks. They are massive, massive oak trees. Planted. I came around that with Mary. I came around that corner and I saw that oak and I thought, and they shall be like trees planted by living water. And though that root system goes down deep and just sucks up that fresh spring water. And those things are massive. And the storms come. What are those things? Four, five, six hundred years old? Doesn't matter. Those storms come. Those suckers aren't going anywhere because they're rooted. They're rooted. Now see, a man of God in Isaiah, in the last part of Isaiah, I can't quote the verse. It just popped into my head. He says, they shall be called oaks of righteousness. Why? Because their roots go down deep in the word of God. But you see, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. So what's meditation? So you read scripture. Let's make a distinction between reading scripture and meditating. Uh, let's go back to the physical world for a minute. So I take this stuff. My doctor told me to take this stuff called CoQ10. It's for your heart. And then I found out there's this stuff. Now the thing with CoQ10, there are two grades of it. And the grade I was taking... It's okay, but you see the, absorb, the absorption level is not all that great into your heart. So they got this other stuff, CoQ10 ubiquinol. And the way you know you got it is that you cry when you buy it. Because <laughs> it's expensive. But it's worth it because of how much is absorbed into your heart. You're not just passing it, you're absorbing it, you see. Now, that's biblical meditation. You read the scripture, and now you want to ponder it. Now you want to chew on it, because you want to absorb it. That great theologian, Walt Garrison, said, you just take a pinch between your cheek and gum for true tobacco pleasure. You guys remember that commercial for Skoll? Yeah. Just a pinch. And you just keep it in there. Can you meditate all day long? No, you got a job. You can't just think on Scripture all day long. Well, you don't have to think on Scripture all day long. But you just take a little. You just got it in there. And every once in a while throughout the day, maybe something will occur, something will happen, or you, you get a phone call, and you think, oh, my God, and everything changes. i got to walk in that meeting. That meeting's in five minutes. I thought we had until next week. I don't know what I'm going to say. What are you going to do? It shall be given to you in that hour what you will say. Well, that's a verse you memorized. Back, but, but, but Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say when your life's on the line and they put you up there. 
Well, maybe you've memorized that verse and you've got a pinch just between your cheek and gum and you get into this situation and all of a sudden the Spirit of God brings the Word of God back to your mind. Because you have it in there. It's in your head. Am I making any sense at all? Uh, a lot of guys, I'll get up in the morning, get my coffee, I'll get my Bible, I'll get my chapters, and I start with the Word of God. I learned that from my dad. Um, and and you, you got really three things when you're, when you're alone with the Lord. And so here's the thing about getting alone with the Lord. Once again, there's so many distractions. There's so much noise. Have you noticed how loud restaurants are? It's like all the restaurant consultants have gone around and said, you got to play music and you got to play it loud. I mean, honestly, we had a place we liked to go and we quit going because it's just so loud. You can't even think. You can't even talk. But this, is this not our culture? It's just loud. And you're getting pinged, ping, ping. Oh, Amazon Prime, ping, ping. Your toothpaste has been delivered. Oh, good. Or it's on its way. Oh, wonderful. Or Wall Street, or this, or that, or breaking news. Shut up. You can't even think straight. Be still. And know that I am God. So I get up. And we're in this house now, and I got that upstairs study, and they blew that foam in there, and there's so much of it, it's seeping through the walls, soundproofing material. It's quiet. I love it. And I get up early, and I got my Bible. So... Let me tell you what I, I do in the morning. I got, I got what I'm going to read, but I just don't dive into it. Um, you kind of, sort of like building a fire on a cold day in the morning, and I'm not talking about the gas logs, when you had to build a fire, or you're out camping somewhere 100 years ago. Uh, hopefully you have a match. If you don't, you've got to take that flint. But it takes, it takes a bit of a little work to get a fire going. I got a quote from you, or for you, from uh, Thomas Watson. The reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Did you get that? A quiet time in the morning, if, if that's your time, try to, get it, try to get quiet. Here's what I do. I get my coffee, I got, I got my Bible, I got my, what I'm going to read. But I'll sit there, and before I dive into it, here's what, I, here's what I've been doing for a year. I, uh, I'll just tell you what I do. I actually turn off the lights. I'm sitting there in the dark, because I want to think and I don't want to be distracted. And for the last year, I've been using Lamentations 3. This is how I start. Because about a year ago, I was really concerned where we were going as a nation. I was concerned for my kids and for my grandkids, and things weren't looking real promising. Not that, you know, we still have God issues and we're trusting God. 
but it was looking pretty grim and it was looking pretty bleak. So I would take Lamentations 3. You might pop over there with me for a moment. I would take, if you're in Psalms, go to the right. If you can find Jeremiah, go one more book. And in Lamentations 3, the guy is depressed because the nation has collapsed and the nation has gone down and the nation is under judgment. Uh, he says in 317, my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength is perished and so is my hope from the Lord. This guy was in bad shape. He was utterly and totally depressed and overwhelmed. Okay. Look at 21. This is what I quote in the mornings. I get up, sipping on coffee, and then here's what I do. And I'll say it sometimes quietly and sometimes I'll say it out loud. I'll say this I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. Because I always walk, I always, the way I'm wired, I wake up with a little bit of depression every morning. I can't tell you why, it's just my temperament. It's the way it is. This I recall to mind. See that? Therefore, I have hope. I'm going to think about something here. And then I quote this to myself. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And I just chew on that for a little bit. Dad gummit, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. I can't believe how faithful you are to me because I'm so unfaithful. I'm up and down. I'm all over the map. I'm here. I'm there. I'm in, and you're just steady for me. And then what I do is I go back 24 hours. Because it says his mercies are new every morning. And what I do is I go back to 24 hours before, and then I kind of go through the day. I just kind of run highlights and thank him for mercy. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for that conversation. That was significant. I want to thank you for... And then I want to thank you for this. Yesterday you did, those were mercies. I never saw them coming. And Romans 1 says that, that those in rebellion, they did not give him thanks. I want to make sure I give him thanks. So what I do is I just, and see it's quiet, and I just, I don't take long, I just, go, I just run through it a little bit. And then what's happening is I'm starting to warm my heart. You see? Is this making sense? Yeah. Uh, flip over to uh, Psalm 119 again, if you would. Uh, I think it's 98. And as you're going over there, let me, let me say something. That's the morning. Let me tell you what I do at night. I just share this with you. If you have trouble going to sleep, 
Uh, I take my melatonin and with ubiquitin and all. No, I, I made that up. I just take the melatonin. But if I have trouble sleeping because I'm facing something or there's a situation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a weight and you're burdened and you're concerned and you can't get it off your mind. I have certain, and I'm going to go to Psalm 119, but I have certain go-to verses. And I've called them core verses before. And if I can't sleep, I'll just go over them in my head. Uh, let's do Psalm 34. Is it 34 or 37? It's going to be Psalm 37, actually. I'll show you two core verses that help me sleep. Can't tell you how many times I've used these at night, how many times I've used them at night when I couldn't sleep. Psalm, Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And I'm going to give you the New American Standard margin alternative translation. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Watch this. And feed on his faithfulness. I can't tell you how many times I pondered that verse when I couldn't sleep. And so here's what I do. I just start thinking about feeding on his faithfulness. And where we lived for a long time, I had four cows down in that pasture. And all those cows ever did was feed. They're just always feeding. And as I'm trying to sleep and I got a situation, you know, Lord, right now, you know I'm troubled. I want to graze on your faithfulness right now. Just your faithfulness. I'm not going to think about what could happen. I'm not going to think about this person or that. I'm going to think about you and how faithful you've been to me. Just your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. You've never failed me. You've never failed me. Usually I'm out. Here's another one, Psalm 46, 1. Here's another one that helps me go to sleep. See, here's the value of meditation. Because what you're doing, you're absorbing it. You're absorbing the truth. You're applying the truth. Uh, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. But once again, the alternative reading in the margin, the New American Standard says this, God is our refuge and strength. He is abundantly available for help in tight places. Man, how many times has that verse saved my tail at night? Tight spot, great pressure. Lord, if you don't come through and see all this worry, all this anxiety, but what you got to do, you got to look to him and the power of his word. 
And so it goes like, I'm just, I'm saying, Lord, you're not just available. Am I in tight? Well, yeah, I'm tight. You're not just available. You're abundantly, abundantly, beyond anything I could ever ask or think. What a God you are. How many times have you helped me in my life? I trust you. You give to your beloved even in their sleep. And, and I'll be out. In a, I'll be out in a couple of minutes. I'm telling you, you start quoting scripture, you're going out. Absolutely, because the enemy doesn't want you quoting scripture. <laughs> Every time the enemy tempted Jesus, Jesus came back with what? Scripture. So let's go to Psalm 119 and then check. We're, on, we're still doing meditation. Read the Word. Oh, yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Study the Word. Of course. But look at the benefit here of meditation. He says in uh, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. And there are these different terms. That, you know, they're synonyms for the word. You have law. You have testimony. You have precepts. You Ordinances, okay. Oh, how I love your law. Watch this. It's my meditation all the day. So you got a pinch between your cheek and gum. You can't, you can't quote scripture all day. You got to work. You got to interact. But it's there. It's in your head. It's on the back burner on simmer. Right? Okay, now watch this. Your commandments make me... Have you got enemies? You got anybody that's trying to take you down or against you or saying things about you? Okay, watch this. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. What are ever mine? And literally, for they are ever within me. What is? Your commandments. And so you meditate. As you meditate on the Scripture that's within you, He's giving you wisdom. It goes on and says, I have more insight than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I ponder your word. I chew on your word. I think about your word. When, you ever go out at night just by yourself before you go to bed? You ever walk outside, check the sprinklers or something, and you just look up, and there's that moon and there's Venus? The heavens are declare the glory of God. I just stand there. That's unbelievable. You spoke that into existence. The greater light just went down. There's the lesser light. You uphold all things by the word of your power. Those, those are there because of the law of gravity. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking. That's unbelievable. You know those stars by name, every one of them. Go get some sleep. If he's got that under control, he's got you under control. And your enemies and whoever's on your tail. Okay? I love this stuff. 
I'll show you one other thing. When you meditate, he's been talking about it. He said, your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I've observed your precepts. And then watch this. I've restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. Because you see, the more you ponder scripture, the more you know, you know what? That way I've been going, that's not how I want to live. And Lord, I don't have to live that way because of your power and what you've done. And I resist that. I follow you. And you start new habits. Okay. Let's talk about prayer. Here's what you need to do on prayer. You need to get up at 3 a.m. And you need to pray for four hours before you go to work. Every day. Martin Luther said, I have so much work to do that if I don't give four hours to pray, I can't get it done. Now, you know what that does to me? It puts me under a load of guilt. And it does to you, too. Uh, there were people that God used remarkably to change history. And those people, I believe God gave them a tremendous capacity for prayer because of the tremendous responsibility that was before them. So you can read books of men and women who had gifts of intercession, would pray two, three, four hours. I mean, be astonished that four hours had gone by. When I pray, I'm praying, Lord, help me and, and give me wisdom with my kids and all of this. And then, I don't know, is Romo going to Dallas or is he going to, he's not in Dallas, he's going to Houston or is it Denver? And then what the heck? What happens if Dak goes down and then, and then, oh, wait a minute, I'm praying. Has that ever happened to you? You wander? <laughs> Don't look at me that way. <laughs> See, you're just like I am. Prayer is hard. Prayer is tough. Prayer is talking to the Father. That's all it is. It's just talking to the Father. So talk to him. You talk with him all day long. Well, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Yeah, and you can kind of have an ongoing conversation with him. You can kind of have a dedicated fax line. You know? My mom lives with us now, and it's a delight to have her. And when her hearing aids are out, well, here's what happens. I'll walk down the hall, and I hear her praying for my kids. And she doesn't know I can hear her. Now, she was just on the phone with my niece. And then maybe she'll find out about something that's going on, and then she just prays. I remember my Nana, her mom. I walk in, I'd walk in the kitchen or something, and Nana's in the kitchen going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she meant it. There was something on her heart. She says, Jesus. And he knew what it was. You see, you just talk to him. You can talk to him in the, in the car. They think you're on the speakerphone. They won't even look at you weird. You just talk to him. You know, the prayer is the strength training. Because there's more power in prayer, guys, than we realize. Uh, go to James. 517, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just like us. 
And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You know what that's called? That's called power. That's called power. That the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I'm not perfect. It doesn't say perfect. It says a man who's righteous. You're following Christ. You love Christ. You love his word. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Are you burdened by something? If you're burdened by something, pray. That's the spirit of God that's burdened you. So pray. Pray. And it doesn't have to be long. If you're in your office, just breathe a prayer. Amy Carmichael, who had that phenomenal ministry in India, she went and this little lady had tremendous courage. We hear a lot about sex trafficking today, and it's a horrific thing. She went into the backwoods of India, and they would bring, and parents would bring their little girls, seven, eight, nine, and they would bring them to the temple, and they would become temple prostitutes and stay there the rest of their lives and never leave. And this little lady, Amy Carmichael, by herself went in there and would rescue those little girls and had a little home. And hey, and these guys did not like that. And the threats and the demonic activity, and she prayed them off. And then she got sick and she was confined to that bed. And she couldn't get up and move around. So what she would do is she would pray and she would write. And you can read her writings today. Sometimes she would get so burdened, she couldn't even describe what was going on. And she would just say, Jesus, and then give a name. Jesus. And give a name. Because Jesus knows all about it. You can do that. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. I had a professor in seminary. And uh, kind of an unusual guy, quite frankly. A little bit different. Good heart. But I, I'll never forget... He had been married about 40 years when he was teaching this class. And one day in class, he just talked about prayer. And he said, when my wife and I got married, someone in her family gave us a gift, and we opened it up. And it was an empty book. It was a bound leather book with empty pages. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But you can buy them at Barnes & Noble. It's a nice leather-bound book, hardback book. And you can write anything in there you want. And there was a tradition in the family, and she knew immediately what it was and what it was for. And he said, what we've done for 40 years is that when we pray together, my wife will take, we'll have an empty book, and she'll put a line through the middle of the page, and we'll write the request and the date and just write a brief description. We leave the other side open. so that when the Lord answers the prayer, we can write the answer and the date. He said, we've been married 40 years, and now when we go to pray, I'll reach up on the shelf to grab our empty book, 
And next to it are 11 volumes that are filled from page to page with answered prayer. Because there is unbelievable power in prayer. Peter Kreeft wrote these words. I strongly submit that if we saw all the difference, even the tiniest of our prayers made, and all the people those little prayers were destined to affect, and of all the consequences of those prayers down through the centuries, we would be so paralyzed with awe at the power of prayer that we would be unable to get up off of our knees for the rest of our lives. We'll see it in heaven. And you know what? Nothing builds faith like answered prayer. So you just keep praying. And you just keep praying. And if he says no, he'll redirect your desires. If he delays and he intends to answer and your burden, you just keep praying and trust him for the timing. He's the living God and he's active. I'm going to tell you something. There's not a human being on the earth that can fight off the prayers of someone who loves them and is praying in the name of Jesus. You got someone like that? Then you keep praying. My great, great grandmother had 13 kids. Two sons died in the flu epidemic of 18. But her other sons were all raised to know Christ. They were hellraisers. The girls all knew the Lord, not the sons. They got up in their 30s, 40s, 50s. I can remember her in her 90s at Nana's house in bed. And I can remember her praying. I was just a little boy. And she would pray for her sons, who were now in their 60s and 70s, and had gotten hard against the Lord, and she just never stopped praying. She died. <laughs> and one by one, the Lord's daughter pulled on that. One by one, and every single one of those guys came late in life to Christ. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous woman, Availeth much because of his power. So let's pray. Father, we're all learning in this and we want to continue to learn. We've got responsibility, we've got jobs, we can't spend hours and hours on this, but we can spend some time and we can be in touch with you throughout the day. Give us that uh, dedicated facts line in our hearts that we can always just breathe a prayer. Help us to find a time to be by ourselves and to get with you and your word. And help us to learn to meditate. Or there's a process. This, this, isn't, this isn't a final exam. We're just walking with you. There are a lot of different ways to do this, but we do want to walk with you and we do want to communicate. And we want to chew on that word and get that absorption. We really do.
That's why we're here tonight. May your favor be upon every man, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.